I hate, by the way, that this is not in person. I know. It sucks. Yeah. <laughs> it's all right. Are you in Pasadena? We're in the world right now. Yeah, it is. Do you have any questions or anything before we start? Uh, how you doing? I'm okay. How have you been? <laughs> I haven't seen you in six years. I know, that's crazy. I know. That's it's insane. A, yeah. Yeah. Just uh, hanging out, you know, yeah. uh, trying to stay safe. I hope you are. I'm glad you're yeah, I'm in you're Ohio. family there. Yeah. yeah. So. All right. I'm going to do my intro. Are we ready? Doing? We're ready. Here we go. Yeah. Okay. Oh, hi. You're listening to Service from Hell, a podcast featuring people that are currently in customer service positions or the lucky few that got out and all the good, bad and infinitely irritating things that go along with that work. I'm actor and writer Kate Gaffney, and I'm uniquely qualified to discuss this as I used to work because it's shut down now at a very busy and very popular comedy club in Los Angeles. And at least one of you listening right now has probably grabbed me and told me you were ready to order when I was running around like a crazy person. So let's eat. (laughs) Joining us via FaceTime as I am still in Ohio and we are still in quarantine times while trying to stay sane in Los Angeles is actor, writer, improviser and director Dwayne Colbert. Dwayne hails from sunny Los Los Angeles as a native Angelino and has worked in almost all areas of entertainment. He is the original writer and director for the Second City produced musical comedies Afros and Ass Whoopins and Shade, a colorful musical comedy. Dwayne has written for Nickelodeon and Funny or Die. And as an actor, he has appeared on Jimmy Kimmel Live. Baskets, Silicon Valley, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and in numerous national commercials, with some probably coming up that I don't even know about. Most recently, this is my favorite part to be able to say, as in a few days ago, Dwayne is permanently able to call himself an Emmy winner, as he just won an Emmy for Best Original Song, How Cartoons Brainwashed Us with Jewish Stereotypes. Damn, I'm so proud of him. Anyway, I better know Dwayne from going through the second city with him and then writing our level five show together and going on tour with that same show. We then went on to perform in my favorite improv group ever that we formed, and it was called Just Wax It, which stopped performing because all improv groups eventually fall apart. And it's I'm still sad about it, but I'll get over it. Probably never. Anyway, Dwayne, please prove to the listeners that I am very, very cool by telling them how I used to know you before you were famous. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know if that makes either one of us cool, but yeah, we used to, <laughs> I mean, we were in the improv streets. Oh my God. Like for real, for real. Every black box. Like there was no LA improv scene until we helped make an LA improv scene. Like, I we feel were that everywhere. way too. I totally yeah. feel that way too. feel that way because it was the truth. I mean, like what, Fanatic Salon, mm-hmm. the original clubhouse where you had to like walk up this little lock, oh, and bump your head on the pipes. <laughs> Um, Bro Squad 5 would just like rent a theater Mm. and just be like, we're just going to put up shows here. We'd be like, cool, we're going to roll with you guys. At the improv, um, that little lab space they had. I mean, there were, you know, when when people thought of comedy, when we started doing improv, Kate, all they thought of was stand-up. Like yeah. literally thought comedy. Live comedy was stand up. And improv was like no it was for like theater geeks around. Like, now improv is everywhere. Everywhere. It's too bad. So it's stand- too- like stand ups yeah. in the improv spaces and, and, and improvs in the stand up spaces. Insane. Yeah. Those those were like camps that just did not mix back in the day. And uh, we were out there doing it. Yeah. Neon Venus, all those little Oh my sh- god, I forgot about that one. Oh my god. Yeah. So oh R. I. P. We were like everywhere. We were yeah, we I think were. we we might have done like restaurant prov or whatever. We I'll sure did. Show. <laughs> Our first show was some some kind of like yeah. what was that? My friend Rose. Yep. Like 
We we were it it's was like a city thing or something. I don't yeah. know what it was, but we just like up there performing. We thought we were part of some festival, and like that wasn't true. It was literally right. us while everybody was eating, and it felt like it, it almost felt like a, a hall, like a dance yeah, hall. Kind of hall. Yeah. yeah. And Nathan's da- uh, godfather was in town, and my parents were in town, and we were like, "This is the show," but no one was paying attention. They were all <laughs> eating dinner because it was basically a wedding reception. Oh, I forgot there, about like, that. Show. Like you know, hey, I'm a mechanic, and I gotta be. <laughs> And they wanted us to do improv games. We finally like distilled our very complex, amazing form into literally like, give us a suggestion. Now I'm holding a wrench and scene. And they lived (laughs) for our like 10 second scenes. I forgot about that. Oh man. Yeah. So that's what I mean by like in those improv streets. Like now, you know, improv's all polished and awesome and it could be on Netflix, but you know, Mm -hmm. we were doing it. Yeah. Yeah. It was a grind. So what initially, so you're a native Angelino born and raised, correct? Okay. I am. So what, South, what used to be called South Central now is just South Los Angeles, but yeah. Oh, I didn't know that they changed the name. Uh, I think officially it's been changed. Yeah. But it was like, uh, I was near Western Exposition off of uh, 38th. Okay. Right near USC. Gotcha. And so what, now in my experience, most people from LA are so turned off by the entertainment industry because they grew up sort of in it too much or they saw too much or they heard too much. So what was your journey getting into front of the camera acting? Because you did not start out that way. So what, how, how and why? Yeah, I had no interest in Hollywood that kind of way. I was just working in animation for a while, but uh, eventually became a writer for some animated shows that you mentioned at the top. And, uh, you know, the writing was kind of getting stale. So my buddy was said, just take an improv class. My buddy Doug. So I took a improv class. Well, I actually Googled the word improv. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, saw, I was like, Oh yeah, that's that thing. I kind of know what it is, but not really. I didn't really know it, the history of it, or it is a performance piece or anything like that, or, you know, what school is taught and all that. But I saw and read about second city and I saw that there was a satellite theater for the second city in Hollywood. So I just started taking class, I took my first class January 07 and I've been acting ever since i had never acted before that wasn't even in a school play before but uh like i didn't even call myself an actor for a while after we graduated Mm -hmm. you know i went on tour with the second city and even then i would just call myself an improviser you know it it was not until i came back from ships was on one of their first house teams there at the second city hollywood and then i didn't get on a team after one of the auditions like after that or something like that so when i didn't get on the team i was like what the what the the actual you can cuss cuss. yeah so i was like you know what I, i i wanted to like look inward so i was like you know I, my improv is probably from the ships didn't help, but not to blame it on that kind of gig, but kind of improv where I was just like looking for laughs. I could tell that I was like not being real and, you know, I had never taken real acting beyond what the, you know, my improv instructors could, you know, kind of bestow upon me along the way in the conservatory there. So I really studied acting after that. And then it just kind of opened up. Yeah. Okay. And so what, how did your sort of uh, what was your attraction? Like you said, animation initially. So what uh, you were always drawing growing up, that was sort of, you were artistic and creative. That's exactly that. I was, yeah, I was drawing. I started just kind of tracing things, uh, too scared to draw it on my own. And then, um, my grandma bought me a bunch of, uh, Dr. Seuss books. So, uh, I wanted to just like go it on my own and not trace. So I just like drew some of the characters from there and showed them to her and her excitement got me excited. So then I used to draw like peanuts characters. I really still love drawing the peanuts characters because they were so simplistic looking, but 
difficult to really convey and capture emotion. Uh, so I love that challenge about him. Um, I saw, you know, always grew up watching cartoons. Uh, loved uh, when they used to only be on Saturdays. Loved Saturday morning cartoons and all that. Um, but then I remember one day uh, as an adult, I saw The Lion King, and I was just like, oh man, that is like an epic tale done in animated form with music. Like, what the hell's going on here? So it was like a different and a change in animation, I thought, uh, than what they were normally putting out, especially from Disney. So uh, that made me want to study it. And then I started, you know, just called up all the animation studios that happen to be locally here in Southern California, most of them in Burbank. And they were just like, send me packets on, well, this is how you do what we do. Here's where to go. Here's what to learn. Then I eventually took some classes at the Animation Guild and also got an internship at a small animation studio, Hyperion, where they did Happily Ever After and Life with Louie and some other animated Brave Little Toaster series and whatnot. It was some ex-Disney execs who had started that business and they were great and taught me a lot because I moved up from being an intern there to a runner, just running packages to a PA. And I made sure that I knew everything that you know was part of pre-production before we took it all in one box that used to be my job to take it in a box down to FedEx to ship off to get animated. So I just learned the whole process because I loved it so much. And that helped me when I eventually would start working at Animaniacs for, um, at Warner Brothers TV animation and Peaky and the Brain and all those, those fun shows. Um, and then eventually went over to Disney feature after that and worked on some, some animated features there. And the story guys there were amazing. There was like better than film school. They would tell me what books to read, what movies to watch, you know, look at my drawings. We would just talk all day about the story. Uh, they were just really amazing. Um, and they've helped me like, you know, develop my artistic skills too. Yeah. That's how, you know, that was even before writing, before acting or any of that. One of my favorite stories that you told me early on when we were hanging out was that, you know, you knew that the princess and the frog was coming out, but you didn't know what it was called and you were tasked to work on it and you were working on it. You're like, oh, it's a this cool like black princess and this is a cool story. But it was ages before it came out. And then you ended up leaving Disney before it was released. Am I remembering that yeah. correctly? Yeah. yeah. And I I would tell people the story of how animation at Disney would take decades and I didn't understand that you know it's like I was like oh I, I just assumed you know you start drawing and what six weeks later you got a finished movie and I didn't I like from development to like screen I'm, I'm sure it's all changed and a lot better and streamlined now and it's all different but it was about like five years or so for a feature to get up yeah. that's crazy so then you take an improv class per the suggestion of Doug and you're thinking okay I'm, I'm pretty good at this which you are and you're thinking all no, right. I was not thinking that at all actually well, I took my first improv class um, Josh Funk was the artistic director there now he was one of my first teachers there and I was just like so bad because I came from a writer background where he would say two people up and I would just be like alright great you know started to seem like hey sister of mine in this place that we all just like narrating the scene rather than playing at the scene i was so bad that he would yell two people up and i would leap up and no one would get up with me are you kidding me i was taking a drink I of water are you no serious so i was like this is not for me so i found out they had a they had a, um, a sketch writing program at the time that also culminated in some big show so i was telling josh Funk, i was like nah bro you know i'm cool i'm just not gonna take improv he's like no no we need people at the time there's you know not a lot but now there's a, ma- a million but at the time he was like there's not a lot of black improvisers he said you you know you got something we can help develop that i was like nope i'm cool i'm a writer so i just took the <laughs> sketch program and that was about a year-long program at the time too it was like now that we teach sketch left and right but uh it was a long program that culminated in you putting up a sketch show with these other people who had gone through the levels with you and josh funk ended up being our director uh, oh, for wow. our sketch show so i saw him working with the actors and then at our graduation ceremony uh, after our run of our uh, sketch show they announced he was our the new artistic director replacing 
Dave Rosowski. So when he called my name up and with my get my little T-shirt and everything and certificate, he was like, "Yeah, and this guy needs to stay for our improv program." And I was like, "Wow, he put me on blast like that." So when I got up there, I was like, "All right, you know what, man? You put me on blast. Plus, you know, you were the you know my my original improv teacher, and they made you artistic director. I'll stay and see what you got to say." So I stayed and became and pretty much became an actor because of that challenge of someone saying you you could could possibly be good at improv. Which is so funny because by the time I met you was when I first started in the program, which was like 2009, 2010, something like that. And 2009, 2009, 2009. I get that, that whole time mixed up because I was so new to LA and I remember just thinking like, Oh my God, he's so good. This is so frustrating. And, uh, we had, I forget who else was in our, Nathan was already in our class too. And he was so strong. You guys, you guys were already a group people whose name I forget. Shoni. Dang it. What's her name? I forget. But yeah, she's a model now, but I forget her name for whatever at her house. Oh, Karen. Karen. Oh, God yeah. love her. Oh, we had to kick her out of the group. That's so awkward. Yeah. <laughs> she started. <laughs> that was amazing. Oh, yeah. So she started the group and we, could, we were like, you know what? It's not working out. Bye. This <laughs> <laughs> so improv, right? Cutthroat. Cutthroat. <laughs> oh, bless us. That, you know, was the acting impetus and journey and all that. Yeah. Crap. And then we ended up go- taking our show to Chicago and I'll never forget you had never been to Chicago before. And I was so excited because we flew in together from LA and when we landed in the airport, I was like, we're getting popcorn. We're getting pizza. We're doing all the things. Yeah, and, oh, yeah. It was such a Chicago experience. Too. But it, was all, so it was a quintessential Chicago experience, especially because we landed in the winter. And the first thing you said to me when we were getting our bags from the conveyor belt was you were like, oh, I can't do this. <laughs> and was, you had this huge we were, we were parka. in Chicago in January. Yeah, it was wicked. It was no, it was so dumb. <laughs> That's why we sold out every show because people didn't we want did. to be outside. Like, yeah. <laughs> but that, oh, man, that experience though, like... Unreal. I mean, it, I don't know what it is now, and we know that some of the folks that are involved with the, putting it together, you know, since not necessarily been continue to be part of the community. Right. Uh, but at the time, <laughs> crickets. The Chicago Sketch Fest <laughs> was amazing. It was amazing and, at uh, the time. We, we had like two great nights. We had a great time uh-huh. slot. Yeah. We had like a write up in the local papers. Yeah. People were coming up to us. It was nuts. It was crazy. Just like hanging out. They just wanted to hang out, and get drunk with us. It yeah. Like, oh my gosh. What? Oh, that was so much fun. And then like, how? You know, you guys have realized this is our graduation show. We're, we were students a month ago. Yeah. And now <laughs> we're on tour, bitch. Yeah. What do you? Or... So... <laughs> and weren't there like five of us in that one hotel room? I mean, didn't we? We were doing oh, yeah. it on a budget. Like, oh, it was like I don't <laughs> it's know. So crazy. It was like some kind of like weird ayahuasca kind of. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, we we're just like another time and place. We were all just like I remember us being in a circle, like drunk as shit. Uh-huh. And we were like chanting something. Yeah, because <laughs> we were dancing and like, sh- and all my yeah. friends from college came in and we were getting hyped. Uh, so great. This is such I good. Had a friend from, uh, from, from yeah. college coming too. Yeah. Yeah, and Shoni had a shitload of friends come because he was yeah. living there right yeah. before so, it. This is great yeah. audio for the listeners. They're like, are these two friends just talking? Yes, it is. Yes, Pretty it much. is. It's just two friends that, talking. That, we're talking okay. about that experience of uh, meeting in, in at Second City and how what that yeah. meant to us at the time. You know, yeah. becoming young artists and the whole improv scene in L.A. was different and changed and new. And we were helped kind of developing that at, at, at you know, at the time. Yeah. Uh, no one who's, you know, dope on the scene now would even remember our group. But mm-hmm. I feel like we kicked so much ass, though. And we I, ident- I feel that way as well. And that was such a it had such an influence on my life as wanting to stay in LA and be an artist and continue on because it was such a supportive 
amazing environment and we we got lucky it was yeah, just, yeah we really did. We it, was, really it was a good time yeah. i mean and, you know people that we still i still talk to you all the time i yeah. still hang out with johnny we do work i try to keep up with others but you know people got lives but <laughs> most people that a lot of people that i still work with or want to work with in comedy come all the sketching improv community you know? yeah yeah because you get to see them on a different level so get us up to today so so that was uh you you sort of moved to front of the camera so you've been on some pretty huge shows and a lot of senior you say been on but <laughs> i mean they're not like ghost i uh, guess star or you know uh series regular roles i mean a couple of them could be considered like recurring roles if you come back to something but they're mostly just like co-star roles you know the guy who's got a few lines the new guy in town that the, the, the visiting cop or something like that you know uh so it's, you could build a career that way and i, I think i've built a, a co-star career that way and as well as doing uh, lots of commercials just a shit ton of those yeah. And so now get us up to speed because I really want you to talk about the Emmy. And I know you're <laughs> humble and don't want to probably get into it. But what was the so it was an animated uh, sort of spoof kind of like yeah, talk buddy, us there. Uh, New York Archulo, who I know from uh, Improv and Sketch, I mean, he's uh, part of the uh, super troop or super group Dr. God that started at I.O. West. Uh, I know him from there as a fan. I used to watch those guys all the time. And then we became friends when we were both on a improv uh, team called Shortstop at the what was their Nerdist and they became the Ruby L.A. So they are shortstop started before me, but Neil was, I think, believe one of the original members. And when they were looking to uh, add people to the group, I was had been on a couple of teams before that at the theater, so they knew me and I knew them, and they asked me to join their team, and we were just like hung out one night and. I feel like it was just like magic, you know, <laughs> one of those things where, you know, you get home and you're like plastered, whatever, you'd be like, that was a freaking good time. So anytime I've ever hung out with Neil, it's just been a good time. So Neil hit me up with the idea that he had already either had already sold or was about to sell to Funny or Die with his, his own production, not really sell, but his own production company going in partnership with Funny or Die Digital to do this uh, just like a three-episode short series about this idea that he called, at the time, Bigotry the Musical. And he wanted to work with me on it. You know, I had done, at that point, uh, um, one musical. I don't know if I'd done the second one yet. Maybe. I don't know. Shit, was maybe not up. I don't know. But he had not know that I had worked with musicals, that kind of thing, and we knew each other's comedy. So he trusted me. He even, we even pitched it. He was even gracious enough to pitch the show as a me-him thing to attract a couple of people that were trying to get to it. But the basic idea was that uh, we take these issues that were hot-button issues like bigotry against black people or uh, anti-Semitism against Jewish people or uh, sexism against women. And we would show through our, our own argument and supportive, <laughs> supported by archive footage, cartoon footage, uh, how we as a society have been brainwashed to believe these things uh, through visual through this visual medium. Not that it's all, we weren't trying to argue that this is the only reason. We're just, you know, living in a communist, you know, brainwashed society. We weren't saying that. <laughs> we were saying, look at the influence and look at the direct influence. And we had, we could pretty much could show that in a comical way. I and mean, that's always a challenge. I mean, I think one of the reasons, Neil, I, I don't know, you'd have to ask him, asked me to be a part of it, of Brainwashed by Tunes, was that um, the way in which uh, through Second City, we were able to satirize hot button issues like police brutality and do it in a humorous way. We had droves of people coming to watch us and check it out. So. And you're talking about Afros and Ass Whoopins, which had a residency yes. at Second City in Hollywood and was a brilliant, brilliant, is a brilliant, brilliant musical that needs to do more things. But that's fine. I stay uh, with you about that. We're working, we're working right. on that. I believe that. There's, I believe that. Say that. F fingers crossed, Kate. There's okay. some things happening great hopefully there's a space uh, with that idea in that show and we've expanded the idea as well we've wrote it it was a one act that ran for a year and a half at second city and when that closed huey and i the musical director wrote it as a two-act musical as well we haven't performed the two-act musical on stage yet but uh we're looking to do that and we also wrote it as a feature so 
hopefully there's some things happening there. Cool. Well, I won't probe too deeply because yeah. yay, we'll talk when we're not recording. Great. Okay. Oh, and, and Shade also, Shade, a colorful musical that you and I put up together, another musical comedy about race relations. That was up for uh, Hollywood. It got accepted into Hollywood Fringe. It was had gotten a scholarship for Hollywood Fringe and everything, but then the pandemic hit and they held off on Hollywood. They postponed it till October. Then we just found out last week that they uh, canceled it for this year altogether. Oh, you're so, kidding! Uh, but hopefully, you know, I don't know if we'll have to reapply or not or whatever. But we definitely want to put that up because we were going to do uh, Kyle and I, Kyle McGrath, the uh, co-writer of that, and and Huey, the musical director with uh, with Mirage Thrams, who also wrote music and lyrics for us. Uh, we were going to redo that that whole thing too. The, the one act we put up at Second City is like almost like a testing ground, and it, it hit too. It, it got an extension. It was really great and funny. But we wanted to, you know, kind of after the events of today, contemporize just a bit more too. Because sure. you know, the basic idea of Shade is that a black woman and a white woman switch places because they for a day because they believe the other one has it better. Oh, I love that concept. I never got to see Shade, so I'm 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 excited oh, yeah. to I'm it excited was great. to see it. Was it was a Friday kind of thing, but it was so fun and silly, and the music was amazing. I love that show. Yeah, well, Huey Stonefish is incredibly talented with music, and you are too. Yeah. And so I could see that being a happy marriage. That's great. So getting us to today, so now you're kind of everything's sort of on hold for you industry-wise, but you are just... Uh, you know, trying to do some stuff. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, but, you know, there's a lot of writing going on. Animation is still happening. So there's things that can be happening that are, could potentially be happening right now. You know, Neil has got a million ideas, and so we're talking about stuff, too. I mean, he was, again, gracious enough to bring me on. But we, we built that show, like, together. He and I were the head writers on that, and you know, we are looking to do more musical things is what I'll say, as I can say right now. So, uh, yeah, I definitely want to be known since we got the Emmy to solidify as someone who can, you know, do musical comedies with, uh, have a social impact, you know, and this was before it was in, you know, when black was the new black, uh, was before it was invoked to do all that. So I've always been feeling like art is the way to, you know, express your own point of view. My point of view has always been equality for all, man. Like what the fuck? Wrong is wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And you've done, you've always, and to your point earlier, you've always done it in a way that satirized it so that it was palpable. And there was a reason that it kept getting extended and the run was, you know, it wasn't just, you weren't speaking to an echo chamber. You were able to bring in audience members who I think, you know, you had an impact on, which is always the goal. And so can you just quickly for people not in the industry, so the Emmy process, who nominated you? Did you guys submit a packet nominating yourselves or were you nominated? Um, yeah, either Funny or Die and or Neil's Raphael, Raphael production company probably submitted some sort of package. I don't know how it all works. I don't either, I, I don't. <laughs> to be honest. And then you, uh, but you got the notification <laughs> that you guys won. They, they had to list, you know, the credits and all that and who did what. So that's the only reason I'm you know, getting any recognition at all is that I executive produced on it and wrote lyrics. So there are two different nominations where that affects it. The song itself, I was an executive producer on, so I was not featured on the song in any way, uh, but I did write lyrics on it. And for the other nomination that we haven't found out about yet, and won't until like July 26th or something like that, or 25th, was uh, outstanding writing in a special class series. So the writing is where it would be, you know, the listed as a head writer. And that would be, a, you know, if we got anything, it would be for that. And so will you actually get a statue, though, for what you've gotten so far? Yes. Amazing. That's so exciting. All right, guys. Well, we hope you enjoyed your apps. We're going to go on to the entrees after a quick break.
We are back. <laughs> and now it's time for the entrees. I've built in breaks just because the goal is to hopefully eventually make money on this motherfucking time yeah, suck yeah. that is this podcast. <laughs> so I build in breaks. Yeah. We are back and now it's <laughs> now it's on to the entrees. Okay. This is the speedy speed round of questions. What was your first job ever, ever, ever? First job ever. Oh, I worked as uh, there was a place where the ice cream delivery truck or ice cream delivery truck, <laughs> the ice cream trucks uh, <laughs> would uh, get uh, re-up their supply of, uh, you know, ice cream and whatnot. So I worked at the place where they would, you know, load up I have... and they paid, they paid me an ice cream. I was eight years old. I-, I will die. You were not eight. Oh yeah. I was eight years old. Dwayne, was it like a family business? What the fuck were you doing? No, working a friend was working there. He was like, Hey man, you want a job? I was like, yeah, I'd love a job. He's like, well, they, you know, they pay you an ice cream. I was like, Oh my God, this is the best job ever. <laughs> of all time. <laughs> it was just like after school for like an hour or so. It was nothing. Was it I like, only did it for like a little while. Yeah. Was it the like SpongeBob bars and the, you know, the creamsicles yeah, 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 yeah. and exactly that. Oh, I would have exactly. stolen like a motherfucker, especially at eight. Nothing would have yeah, ever made it yeah. to the trucks. I, I don't just... think that's the way they even load. It's probably just like one dude buying his own crap now. But yeah. at the time, they could help loading these trucks. So that's my first job. Yeah. Man, do they even have ice cream trucks still? I feel like, oh, in Koreatown, yeah, they used to. Yeah, that's still I a thing. I just heard an ice cream truck the other day around here. I live in a, in a neighborhood where they come. Yeah. All the time because there's kids. Okay, great. How many customer shops, service, wow, Kate, I am doing, <laughs> I'm too comfortable with you. I have to get focused. How many customer service jobs have you had? And feel free to add them up. Let's see. Customer service. Let's see. Let's see. And you can list them out. I would say at least five. Okay. So I, I'm you would. I'm sure more. Can you, can you, can you tell the listeners what was in your head as far as what the jobs were? So would you say the, I don't know that the refilling the truck at eight years old counts. Service. It was a direct customer service. No. no that, I worked as a physician referral rep. Oh, where God. people call into a number and say, oh, this doctor's on the list. And, you know, what about him? And you just have to say things about the, the doctor. Oh, my God. Would you make shit up? No, no, no. We had to, their, you know, curriculum vitae or whatever right in front of us. We had to, like, read from that and talk about the hospital and their specialties. And we only had to state facts. You know? Oh, so there was never opinion. But you would just answer calls. Yeah. So people would call and be like, what does Dr. Wong do? Is he great? Yep. Is he this? Yep. And you're like, yes, he's that. great. Like, this person did this and did that, but they wanted to talk to people about it. So that was a customer service job. Okay. What else have you done? Okay. So that's one. I was a, a, a what do you call it? Answering service. Like if a doctor, a couple of them were doctor's office, but they weren't all doctor's offices where, you know, they're it was before machines, but they want, people wanted to talk to a live person. So you would just answer and take the message for them. Oh, did you hear disgusting things? Uh, I don't think, I don't remember hearing anything disgusting on that job. Yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't work there very long. Yeah. Okay. That's two. <laughs> <laughs> what else you got? Uh, speaking of that, uh, that I was um, overseas. ATT was a long-distance overseas operator. I don't even know if they even have operators now anymore. But back when there were actual phones that weren't cellular, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, landlines. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was the person when you dial zero zero. I think zero was local, and zero zero was like long-distance to overseas. So I was long-distance overseas for ATT. I was oh. customer service big time. But what would you do? Like, what would be? Connecting calls, uh, you oh. know, there's all kinds of crap like that. You'd have to like, you have these cars, sometimes you time calls. It was like, it was weird. I, yeah. okay. I knew how to say hello in a bunch of different languages. It's stupid. Yeah. That's cool. It was a while ago. Okay, that's three. <laughs> what else you got? What else did I have to do? Customer service that I was thinking of. Uh, receptionist. Okay. Uh, receptionist a few times. Um, that's four. Yeah, what was the other one I was thinking of? 
I was looking at people in the face. Well, I'm going to argue. Oh, worked, uh, retail. Yeah, I worked oh, at uh, what used to be Macy's. I don't know if they have Macy's anymore. Do they have Macy's anymore? Uh, they're going under, I guess. But yeah, the, yeah. I guess they're yeah. brick and mortar Macy's that still exists. Back in the day, that's customer service. Oh, God. Those are terrible jobs. I would argue working on the boats doing improv is customer service because you're interfacing yeah. with the guests and stuff. And I think... Definitely had to... What they used to call glad handing. We'd have to, uh, after our set, we'd have to, you know, they, the people on the uh, the passengers want to talk to this entertainer. So we'd have to go out and meet them and talk to them and let them buy your drinks and all that. So oh. that was, yeah. But, and then we also did, did workshops for Second City. So that was, yeah, a bit of customer service there. So we're I up for American Heart Association. That was a fundraiser, really, but there was a lot of cajoling uh, volunteers. You know, you'd have like city council members or uh, prominent physicians and whatnot, people who are, you know, pillars of the community be a part of your your groups uh, in these localized sections of LA. So I had to, a lot of work with people to get them to volunteer their time to fundraise for this cause. Oh, we, uh, okay, we're up to yeah, seven. That's seven. That was, that was a lot. Yeah. You know, and a bunch of other like receptionist type, you know, you're the first, I, I know I said receptionist where I was actually receptionist, but the other jobs like that where you're first line of defense for some but you're not the actual receptionist kind of yeah. thing, but you do have this interaction. Yeah. Okay. So we'll give you an even eight just because that seems... Sure. Well, I also used to... What did I used to do with summer jobs? I remember I used to... Uh, it was like a daycare center. We would like feed the kids and I didn't, we didn't have to teach them, but we're like help wrangle the kids and get them all, you know, situated and off to their parents and all that. And it was a bunch of us teenagers who had to do that kind of thing. It was not quite camp, not quite... I don't know what it was, but it was fun and awesome. And you had to deal with parents and teachers a lot and stuff like that. Jeez Louise. Okay. So that's like nine, 10. We'll give you 10, <laughs> 10. Yeah. I did a, I, I worked at a camp and it was no thanks. Like I love kids, but no thanks. Yeah. It's not that idea. Is food service. Does that count? Cause I worked yeah. at a lot of service places too. Yeah. I worked in a burger joints in, in high school. I remember that. I remember a guy who worked at a place. <laughs> he was like one of the like first employees right before the fat burger restaurant went, when, you know, became a um, franchised okay. uh, back in the day when there were just a few, you know, standalones in LA. So he used to work with the, the, the group or family or whoever it was that owned it back then. And he was, um, disgruntled he said he was upset that when they did start franchise he was promised things that didn't happen so he started his own rival burger joint and it wasn't fat burger it was fat man he was a large man so it was ironic <laughs> uh so i worked at fat man which was right near my house it was at that corner it's this little strip mall at western exposition so i worked there and i worked at mcdonald's and i worked I, uh, Dwayne, we talked uh, about this podcast before we did this i gave you the question and he's like, oh, shit. Also this and also this. So yeah, now we're up to 11. Stuff. McDonald's was probably crazy. I worked there for one day. Well, Dwayne, why? Why just nuggets and fries. <laughs> and then during a break, they gave you a little like Dixie cup size cup. And to go get something to drink, so I went and got some soda in there. And the guy was like, did you just get soda? I was like, yeah, I'm thirsty, man. He was like, you're only supposed to get water during the break. I was like, slowly taking off my apron. <laughs> Y'all can have this shit, bro. I can't get soda. I can drink water at home. But I, was, like, I never used to get soda. I was like, you kidding me? We got all the flavors? I'm about to get all these bitches. I'm about to do a suicide like, in this motherfucker. Up on my cup, fucking uh, Dixie cup. So I was just like standing there, like eyeballing customers like, mm. I wish somebody would say something. <laughs> I love that. Wait, so I was like, bro, are you kidding me? I was just out of there. They even I remember them sending me a check for that one day and I was just like, I didn't even cast that shit. I was like, Yeah, keep your shit, bro. I, I'm acting like this shit didn't happen. I'm blocking this out. <laughs> Good, I'm re-traumatizing you. And then in college too, I worked in the cafeteria. Oh, wicked. 
Was that hard? Was, oh, that was really hard because, you know, I remember working with my homie Jay. He's a principal now. I remember me and Jay was working like the omelet station one morning. Oh, God. It was like a line out the door. <laughs> <laughs> still, still, it was like, I remember one point Jay just picked up the egg bucket and just like poured it all across the, the grill. <laughs> just like separated them all with their orders that way. It was ridiculous. Oh, my God. And you're also serving your peers when they're hungover and oh, yeah. they know you. Oh, like It was like, the worst job. Well, maybe the worst job I had when I was in college, because I also used to call up alumni and ask them for money when I was in college. That was another job I had. Um, it's a customer service job, right? Uh-huh. Um, job I used to have, but that, this wasn't customer service. It was in the city of Davis. I don't know if they still do now. I went to UC Davis. These have these double-decker buses that they all got from England, when they, I guess when they would you know, put them out to pasture with cinema air or they acquired them some kind of way. So the city had these double-decker buses. I would wash those fucking buses. Shut up, Dwayne. It was like that diesel fucking exhaust is like the worst smell in the world to me. And oh. Yeah, I've had shitty jobs yeah you have and that how how long did you last washing buses uh not long longevity is not your thing i had, I had oh, one where i guess this would be considered customer service it was also in college like in the summertime there was a lot of um like hunts contadina uh the campbells all had like factories and, and fields and whatnot up there in northern california where i went to school so summer job would be a sweet one would be working because you can make enough money to pay for a school year there i mean it was, shut like, up amazing. yeah so I, I remember one year i was working a, a field rep where we would uh have a book full of maps. This is before GPS. <laughs> a book full of maps. We had to go out to these different farmers' uh, lots and say we want a certain amount of this tomato versus that one, and we'd like have to have our pin knife there and test them, you know, taste them and all that. And I hated tomatoes before college. After that, I learned to fucking love them. Uh, but I did, was a field rep for a while doing that, and you know, that same company. I think it was Continental. They they did like over Redenbacher. It was like a large company it had all these different systems. So we were like eating popcorn like right off the freaking stalks that kind of thing in the uh, office and stuff like that it was just like a, a cool job but we had to go out and talk to these farmers all the time and these were like second third generation japanese farmers not all of them but a lot of them were the bulk of them that i dealt with were uh so they were you know knew their shit and they could tell when you're green and you don't know yours so it was interesting and awesome to have to deal with the different you know personalities that way uh, there and, and i also worked in at campbell's was more in that was more uh inland that was like in the city of sacramento and it was like a, at the, a plant you know it was mm-hmm. like a paste plant not much outside you know dealing with the public but uh that was i worked in the paste plant where they would make a tomato paste right and uh it would fill up these big drums i'm talking about it was a drum like like a radioactive type drum <laughs> and then plastic lighting <laughs> and then it would come inside we put the lid on bang that shut Oh man, we had some jobs, man. Yeah, you have. Yeah. Did you? Were you one of the ones filling the paste, like putting the paste in the drum? Yeah, yeah. I even worked in one part where they had this tomatoes would come down through this conveyor belt, and you'd like remove anything that wasn't a tomato before it gets to the point where they're chopping it up. Some of that shit would be like a rats, or <gasps> like a log, or like a shit, whatever you know, something that ain't tomato, and they would make it past us, and they would get chopped up too. Come on, Dwayne, stop. Kidding. That's I'm not true. Kidding. I'm not kidding. I'm so grossed out. Be grossed out. I, I mean, am. I'm sure, that, I'm sure their quality controls are better, better than they were with college kids doing a summer job back then. But where nobody gives a fuck, and no wonder you hated tomatoes because you're like, I'm not about to eat a rat tail the next time I have tomato paste. I also found that they cooked a lot of those soups, like you know, for like Campbell's soup, where they cook them in the can, like as they go through this conveyor gross. and get all put together. They cook them while they're in the can. That seems gross to me, but I guess maybe not. Maybe oh, that explains why when you lift the lid off, there's like that condensation. Oh. So, oh. 
<gasps> Dwayne, you're spitting so much knowledge on these listeners. I did not know that was a thing. Gross. Can you reach into the archives? Anything else? Can you think of anything else? I think that was it. I think okay. those are most of the jobs. Okay. So we were up to 62. So you have <laughs> a lot of customer service jobs. Okay, great. Which was your favorite of all of the, not obviously comedy, improv, writing, directing, those are all your favorites now. What was your favorite of those customers? When people say directing when they were talking to me. It's not like I'm out there doing films. This is just like oh. comedy theater directing, you know, for the second city. Which is still hard. Pack, you know. mm-hmm. But yeah, what was the favorite favorite job? Customer service jobs are hard to be a favorite, let me tell you. Facts. I guess uh, the American Heart Association, because it was a cause that was personal to me. And I met a lot of amazing people and, you know, just had good support there. It was very stressful. I'm talking about highly stressful. Why? High, I, mean, I just, it's heavy just thinking about it. It's, just, it's, it's a lot of politics involved with that kind of thing. Like, you know, like, again, you're dealing with the pillars of the society. So these are people who have, have uh, a lot of knowledge. They have a lot of uh, education. They have a lot of money. They have a lot of influence. So, mm. you know, trying to be a voice in their ear that is getting them to do something that they're not getting paid for is a, is quite the dance. So I, that, that that's one of those jobs where I really know or, or in retrospect can look back and say i really know how to talk to people i really do i mean it's not being shown on this stutter fest of uh, <laughs> this podcast but uh, but really though and, and that and the ship when i worked when i toured with second city there'd be people from all over the world and just with an ease just talking to people like no problem even some of the like talked to some really racist motherfuckers too really on the ship a couple times and a couple of them they would if you ask them about me they would be like we're best friends how how, so they would come at you with some some kind of like ridiculously offensive comment and then you were able to sort of smooth it out Uh, sometimes smooth it out sometimes just give them shit back uh i I could think of one person in particular who was he was an employee of the uh cruise line and uh so he was considered himself kind of an entertainer but even though he wasn't employed as an entertainer but they had these little contests for the passengers and all that so he'd be part of wrangling those put them together being in costume making a couple of jokes so he really enjoyed the second city and our group of people he'd see different casts coming through and all that you usually get to know them wanted to do what we did but outside of work he would oftentimes like we're uh, an excursion out of one of the ports or something like that just i think he was australian or something just like really racist points of view like, or try to make racist jokes all the time. And I was just like, bro, I'm not here for that shit. You know, I'm going to give it right back to you. Good for you. And then eventually you, he was like, oh, I'm an asshole. And then got better or he just stopped being a dick to you? He just stopped being a dick to me. I don't know if he necessarily stopped being a dick. I remember him coming to L.A. Lots of people from the, who had met on the ship and other places came to L.A. Or uh, when they come to L.A., they would stop by and either come see a show or come see me. We have a drink, whatever. Uh, but he was he was actually a pretty OK guy besides the racism. I know that makes huh. me sound terrible. Not that I'm here for, for anybody's racism, but I, it felt like it was coming more from a place of ignorance for him. So even with my jokes that I would I'd be very biting and try to cut the fucking shit out of I'd cut him down with mine but i would still try to educate while i'm doing this it's like that's a delicate dance to be able to one make it funny because I'm, I'm making sure i ain't just talking shit i'm i'm making sure everybody around me is rolling at your sorry ass so <laughs> one i was making funny two i was trying to make a point you know uh, and then three trying to make a uh, try to you know educate a bit too i mean i think that that is the dance that's why your writing is so it's able to penetrate because you you don't give up on people even the people that i want to scream at and you you know you you roll with it so you handle things very calmly in a way that i don't okay so what was your least favorite of all of those jobs gosh did i talk about when i was a pa no (laughs) but you should because i feel like that's customer service on the highest level that's dealing with some bullshit 
when I uh, when I was at that animation studio, they also did some live action productions as well. And I, I think I worked at one of their live action productions as a PA. And um, you know, they had live animals and stuff. And they were asking PAs to just do stuff that you probably you know shouldn't be doing, like cleaning up monkey shit. Or, Come on, or, tell me that's not true. Oh, it's it's cool. I don't mind it because that same. <laughs> So the good and bad with that, but that's probably the worst customer service job I ever had was a PA on a live action shoot where I had to clean up monkey shit. Because that, that same one... production, though, they also needed like some drawings for this little girl who, who's uh, was drawings of a bear coming to you know hang out in her hot tub. So they they needed someone to do the drawings last minute, and all the artists I guess at the animation studio <laughs> were busy. So they asked me, and I was like, heck yeah, I can do those. So I got my drawings like on camera. That was really great. And I did a couple of uh, like ancillary character voices on a few cartoons that they had there. So that was great too. Okay, so it's not all bad being a PA, bad, but, but, but but at the same time, you also clean up my shit. shit. Yeah, yeah, gross. So. No thanks. What's the weirdest thing you've been asked to do whilst on the clock? Well, that monkey shit's pretty weird. I would agree. Uh, but uh, you know, when it, it, I was a PA on a few productions in in animation, I don't want to cast any disparaging comments <laughs> toward anyone there because I, lots of them are still my friends and and I still know work. But I was at, put it this way: it doesn't matter how small or large the production I've been on. I've oftentimes run into people who will use their position of power to belittle you. Mm. And it was just unnecessary a couple of times. It just like really got lit into for something just trivial where I could see spittle coming out of the person's mouth as they're yelling some ridiculous thing that they get done exactly the way they want it. And it was almost, you know, to the point of where you just want to laugh at it because it was so ridiculous. Um, but that's happened quite a few times. But, I, you know, it's terrible that we have to do this. But at the time I did just chalk it up to something you have to go through as part of experience, you know, paying your dues kind of bullshit that no one should have to go through really. I agree. Um, but I agree. yeah, that uh, couple, it was stressful. Even being a runner, uh, like delivering packages around town. I mean, I got to know. I'm from LA, but uh, I still got to know the the city a lot better just driving around. You know, before GPS again. <laughs> but that was really stressful to have to get to certain places by. They would always act like it's the end of the fucking world if you don't get what you're supposed to get to somebody by a certain time. It's like, dude, no one's gonna die. Fuck off. It's not medicine or a heart or some shit we're delivering. Uh, just some goddamn paper. But I mean, come <laughs> it was, on. So it's very stressful. You know. Yeah, I. I Plus, you're just trying to pay rent too. I was just like, I remember thinking at the time, if I do 500 hours a week, then I'll get like <laughs> 500 bucks a week, and I can pay my rent. You know, so like, it was like really. Really if I can figure out how to transcend time, time yeah. and multiply yeah. myself into threes, then I so, can just earn more money. <laughs> oh, I remember like my brakes being like I had this like 81 320i and I remember my brakes just like being like gone, but I could not afford to get them done. I still had to deliver these fucking packages around town. So I remember once it was like one of those abrupt stops in traffic. And Ooh. I remember just like just pushing down on what non-existent brakes I had and then it's like pulling up on the emergency brake and kind of wiggling the, the tires back and back and forth so it'll slow itself down going oh god please don't, oh don't my crash at anyone and I, and I didn't but it was like stressful oh no thanks uh, but, I, but I love all those broke times though now uh, looking back on it, it was like man we were doing it <laughs> doing yeah. what you gotta do I mean you know, it's true what they say a lot of times to people who are about this business um, if you don't love it like do something else because I would do it and you know, suffer through people yelling at me or not being able to barely pay my rent or or almost dying in a car crash because I can't afford to get my brake fixed. I would do that over any of those fucking so-called real jobs, you know, because this was like, you know, I don't know, something about loving it in a, in a deep way. Storytelling, I guess, would sum up all the different kind of work that I do. Uh, the storytelling is just like, that is like trying to really get a, 
a grasp of what it means to be human. So what a Mm. better job is it than that? That's a great way of saying it. I agree. And yeah, if you don't love it, get out. And I think that that is part of the problem in LA is people stay too long. They, they stay in it thinking that they, that they've somehow failed if they choose to do something different or if they take a different path or they should take a divergent path and they don't and they stay and shit all over the city or shit all over the industry or any variation of that. And I think that's part of why there's such an embittered population there. It's like, it's okay to leave. It's not prison. To be on their side just a bit though, (laughs) there is something to be said about hanging around, about not giving up, about sticking to your guns. But if, if that, if that it, if that little, little fucker, that we call him the little fucker on your shoulder says you should be doing something else to do something else. Cause my little fucker, yeah, he might be a little fucker and tell me things that I don't want to hear, but it's never, don't do this. It's never, Oh yeah. I've negotiated doing something else. Yeah. You know, I've negotiated daily. Quitting doesn't mean that I, I feel like I should be doing something. I feel like I should be doing nothing else, but what I'm doing. I totally agree with that. Yeah. I negotiate all the time. Like, please just let me put another desire on my heart. This is hell. No, it's not, but you know, it, there it's are just days. like, you know, there's something to be said of just just about because it, if nothing else, it makes you better. Yeah, it does. you look at what you're like. Oh man, how did I get so awesome at this thing? Mm-hmm. That people come to me and ask me about this thing that I used to struggle the fuck out of. Like mm-hmm. you know, like I told you, I, I googled the word improv, whatever. I mean, come on. Yeah. To go from that to you know an Emmy. Teaching, <laughs> yeah, that too. Sure. Uh, but like teaching sketch and, and, and improv uh, to places like Second City or the Ruby or what was Nerdist or Westside Comedy Theater or, or or even Nickelodeon. I teach now to the writing fellows where I was a fellow. That's insane to me. That's so cool. You know? So even if we yeah, I get my more of my stories don't get out there, I've still had a good time, you know, along the way. So that's the part about loving it. It's like you got to have a good time along the way because you might only have the good time along the way. You might have nothing beyond the along the way if it never pans out the way you think so-called making it is, you know. So sure. I've been having a time of my fucking life and met beautiful people that have become my family, you know. So this has been really great. I mean, I think that I was already in entertainment, like, you know, animation is kind of like a stepchild, at least it was, of entertainment. It's no, no longer that. It's really huge now. now. It's number one, um, shit. But I felt like, you know, I really found my nerds when I found improv and sketch community. So I always treated it that way. Like, I don't care who was mean or shitty to me. And lots of people have been mean and shitty because, after, you know, if I just kind of stick to who I am and kind of waited them out almost, not even like I was waiting on them, but it's, you'd be amazed by if I give you the list of people who have, you know, were shitty to me and they're now like best fucking friends. Really? You know? I could recount, you know, the specific ways they were shitted to me, but I don't like try to take that to heart and be like, that should be the story of us. Sure. I'm just like, I'm just going to keep good doing good work and being myself. If you don't want to receive this love, then that's cool. You know, you got all the love you need. That's a great point. I'm going to throw up on the microphone. Never said any of that again, <laughs> you asshole. Can I get back to these questions instead of these yeah, yeah, platitudes, yeah. these beautiful platitudes to encourage everyone? <laughs> that's not what this podcast is, Dwayne. Hey, let's get it, y'all. Okay. What incident made them ask to speak with the manager? When you Was there ever a job where they were like, I'm going to talk to your boss because you are fill in the blank? Uh, well, I'm pretty fucking awesome. So I knew you were going to fucking say that. You'd be hard pressed <laughs> to find someone who wanted to talk to the manager. Fine. I'm sure, there, I'm sure there's been some sort of instances, but nothing comes to mind where someone wanted to blow by me and speak to someone else. I mean, I can pretty, you know, I can, even at the job where I had, where I was doing physician referrals and they also did fall in and I can't get up kind of oh, shit. medical monitoring at oh, the same I could, company. Nope, I was nope. like moved up to manager there at one point and also used to coach their softball team. So I, you know, I've been managing people for a while. I had kids. So, you know, I kind of just know how to 
squash situations. You know, not that people, I mean, believe me, there's just probably a, you know, a line of people out there who can't stand me. I'm not saying that, you know, everyone loves me. I'm not saying that at all, but I'm just saying that, you know, what's important or how can we have a a lose-lose or a win-win where we walk away both feeling like we gave a little, or even if we didn't, we at least connected and said, well, that's a person and not a thing. You Mm. know what I mean? Like, I'm not into talking to people who want to kill me. Don't get me wrong, but I am into in situations where it matters to me, making a human connection. That's real. I mean, I think that that has that's obviously served you, but that serves you in scenes that, you know, it's always about the human connection. Go back to the connection, connection, connection. I mean, that's Dave Rosowski in my ear always, but it's just go back to that. What's the relationship? What's the relationship? And it's, yeah, I mean, I think that that obviously has served you throughout life. And that's ironic that you, yeah, anyway. What was the last straw that got you out of the last customer service job that you were like, I'm not doing customer service anymore? Well, you know, I I am an actor, so often sometimes when Mm -hmm. it's not going like you wanted to a year or so, um, (laughs) excuse me, take a customer service job like working at Ross Dress for Less. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted you to talk about that. One Christmas season, a few Christmases ago. Christmas Ross. And I was like, how awful was that? It it was like, you know, after not being in customer service for a long time and you go back into it, it's worse. It's the worst. worst. I say this all the the time. The worst. Like what was crazy was like too many instances for me to like, narrowed down to one what I hated about it but I just remember this as I was you know I just got I maybe worked there for like less than a week right because I was I've been going on audition still and I got in a, I booked a commercial I knew it was going to be a national I was like you know what I'm not even going to wait till this motherfucker shoot I'm out. <laughs> so I'm telling him I'm leaving because I booked this commercial or whatever gamble on and yourself literally said something like oh man I was just about to recommend you for like some supervisory or management position I was like oh god <laughs> let me get the fuck You're up like my out heart, of here my heart hurts uh, but yeah that was just like you know, stacking, you know, stuff and moving dresses around. And it was just like terrible. The people were just, people are just awful, you know. Facts. Hardcore people facts. Were just really not nice. But I also think the part of the problem is, and I've said this to other people that have mentioned the same thing of like having to go back to the restaurant job or the whatever after they booked or got a taste of the beautiful thing that they've always wanted to do. It's worse once you get a taste of this amazing oh, yeah. life. It's better oh, if you just have to stay in the grind. Don't fuck around and get medical ne- through SAG. Never. Never. <laughs> don't fuck around and get top tier medical through SAG. Cause oh, then- my God. You got to make sure you keep working at that same level to or, maintain that. Or, it's not just me. It's yeah. my family, too. Right? Hello. Or for that year, you get everything done. You're like, kids, if there was a procedure we were waiting on, this is the year. <laughs> like, let's get it done. It's just always felt the pressure of once I, you know, really dove two feet into acting and, and did get medical, uh, did get top tier medical. It was like, well, yeah, I got to make it look at it as a, as a job and it is a hustle. Mm-hmm. Um, but you also want to do some cool shit. So it was like most of the job, even though I had have reps, most of the jobs like, I worked just through friends. Sure. You know, a friend of a friend and then had to do this. And then once you get to know even casting directors, they become your friends. Yeah. You know, if there's something like some little small co-star role that this last minute they see me and book me on something else. They know I could do it. They just might book me on that. You know what I mean? That, Can I? Yeah. This is not part of my question portion of this, but everyone will get over the format changing for this episode. Are you comfortable telling the Silicon Valley audition story? Because it is one of my favorite <laughs> stories of all time. And I totally remember it. If you don't want to tell it, you don't have to tell it. I'll, I'll tell the story, but I'll, I'll add to the beginning of it was that I met that casting director when there used to be uh, casting director casting workshops doing workshops. Yeah. yeah. And I, I used to like be anti-workshop. I'm like, no, that's pay to play. What the hell? That's not Which real. People just, you know, bullshit. So my buddy Bowman, Michael Bowman, was like, no, no, this, you know, this through Krebs, this guy, Aaron Krebs, he's pushed together 
know, there are these things yeah. where it's not that these people, if you're good, you know, doing the cop, they treat it like a class. And if you're good, they will if they call you in, that kind of thing. When I was like, all right, well, that sounds fine. I'll go with Bominat, feel safe. So what I saw and observed through going through these series of workshops was that, oh, they carry around these these sides wherever they go. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to make sure that when they gave up a, a, a side to me, that they when they brought it out again, they would only think of me. Ooh. So I still, in those 10 minutes, those little 10 minutes they give you, or maybe sometimes 15, to, to you know memorize like four pages or maybe six pages of copy, I would be off book. Fuck I would yeah, be off book and go for it. I'm talking about I would be making choices that I would never be making before. Just like I wanted to – literally that was my, my voice in my head was saying, make it so that they remember you when they pull this copy out. And then one of the, uh, one of the uh, casting directors from – those workshops call me in, right? So I, I'm at the, I'm, uh, <laughs> I love I'm, the story. I'm, I'm nervous, whatever. You know, you're nervous for all the y'all's just not all of them, but we, we but this was a huge, con- this was a huge yeah, opportunity I, too. I had done commercial auditions plenty, but I hadn't done a lot of theatrical ones. And this was a big deal or whatever. So, um, so she, she goes, uh, you know, you waiting around and you, you see a bunch of people in the waiting room. They all look like you, a version of you or even better than you, whatever. So yeah, like, that's oh. worse. Forget, I always forget what's this crazy about auditions. I always forget that there's other people up for these jobs. I'm like, wait, it's not just me. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like every time I forget. Corpex, <laughs> which is great. It's great goldfish syndrome. Uh, so I, I, I have to go through that, you know, stress of, of not looking at anyone, or because they all try to stare you down. They're all assholes. When I'm trying to, trying to be friendly half the time, yep. they all want to be a holes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I get into the room or whatever. She's like, okay, and she just like points to you and is like, go. And I'm none of the words that came out of my mouth were the copy. Just like swear to God, I have no. <laughs> recollection of what I said, but none of those words were the actual lines in the script. I don't know what the hell I was saying. And real quick, like matter of factly, she just stopped the camera. She said, okay, we're going to go again. And didn't give me a prep time, say what's wrong with you, whatever. It just went right away, right away. Okay, again. And I nailed it. I fucking nailed it. I and I didn't hear from that crap for like two weeks or so because so, I'd literally forgotten about it. And I was in a rehearsal for, I think Afros, I was in a rehearsal or something. Some show I was directing and then I got the call and I was like, what? Are you fucking kidding me? It was fucking nuts. And so she was like, yeah. we're going again. And you knew she was going to give your best take to the it director? It was a couple times. It was, it was it literally was just those time. two. It was one more time. Okay. And she was, I, I think that maybe if, if I've told you the story before where it said something about she was rooting for it, only because I know that she knew what I had done before in the workshops. Okay. I know that she was calling me in because I fucking crushed it. I'm talking know. about, I literally can say with confidence of my own, every workshop, uh, acting workshop that I've ever gone to, I crushed that copy. I don't care if the casting director didn't like me. I know I crushed it. That's I fucking, a... I mean, destroyed. Good for you. For destroyed. Ha- That's, I, I, uh, I cannot say the same. Good job, you. All right, we're going so back to my was, question. She was like, right away, and that was like super stressed. I was like, I mean, like, literally, I would say about this much time. She was like, click. Okay, we're going to go again right away. Click. <laughs> And then I was like, I better get the these lines. Right. Like, yeah, spit them out. <laughs> I better. Spit okay. Them out. All right. Yeah, back to my questions. Out. All right. We, we, this is hard to interview my friends. Okay. How many bodily fluids have been on you whilst you were on the clock? And you, I, I mean, monkey shit is up there. It's not a fluid. It's a solid, but it could be a fluid. I don't know. But well, it started as a fluid in someone's body. Uh, <laughs> it became a solid. <laughs> <laughs> so how many, what? This is a terrible question. No, how it's not. Fuck you. How many? T- you? What? <laughs> because. Do you only interview sex workers? What's happening here? I haven't interviewed any actually. I'd like to. No, what That's like a customer service job? Probably the first one. Uh, <laughs> no, th- that has been suggested to me. If I knew of people that would openly identify as sex workers, I would totally interview them. So a shout out to okay, anyone listening. Go on, go on, like one of them websites or something. And no, see, Dwayne, that is podcast. a t- that is a stupid idea. I'm gonna end up on somebody's list, and then if it, listen, oh, if it, 
can't focus. Answer my terrible question. How many, how many bodily fluids have been on your person whilst you were on the clock? So was there ever a customer service job where like somebody barfed on you or spit on you or I don't know. I mean, bodily peed on you. Does pee count if it's your own pee? Oh my God. Yes. (laughs) I remember in college I had, it was like one of those, again, summer or maybe it was like Christmas term jobs where you could work at like UPS. Dwayne, you've left out all the fucking jobs. You were like, we're up to 174. You left out all the jobs. This is like, this is another one of those jobs, but not a customer service job. Because I wasn't a driver or anything like that. That's a coveted position. This was like loading up. They need, you know, more hands on boxes during the Christmas time or whatever. Okay. So I remember my buddy saying, bro, they paying like crazy. It's guaranteed work. I'm like, I need this. This, He was just making it sound really appealing to me. So I was like, let's do this. So they were like, you got to bring your own water, like a bottle of water. It's best if you freeze it because you're you're gonna have you're not gonna get a break. I was like, we're not gonna get a break. This sounds this doesn't sound like a job. Um, So they were like, (laughs) you know, you got to bring your own gloves, bring a weight, you know, weight belt for your back. This and that. I was like, all right, man, I I get it. Boxes, whatever. And I'm young at the time. I was like, I could do this. That was the worst fucking job ever had. Really? In those trucks, I don't know. If which kind of the trucks, but they, the bottoms of those open up, and there's more fucking space down below. So I'm in the belly of the beast. Uh-uh. There's one person that are tossing you, fucking. They're coming off the belt and they're tossing. It's a mountain of fucking boxes. They're tossing you boxes. And you got to stack them like fucking Jenga underneath. Mm-mm. And there was like no break. So I didn't bring a fucking water bottle that was frozen. So I was like, I'm talking about this was the kind of dry mouth that you would only get if you were in the desert after smoking like 30 blunts. <laughs> it was like dry, dry, dry. <laughs> And I had no water. They couldn't. So I remember like a, him throwing me like a bag of oranges or something. They were like going, you know, Christmas time, whatever. Yeah. I remember like in one motion, grabbing them, jamming my hand inside, slamming that orange in my mouth, and then stacking it, and then grabbing another bucket box. It's just like Ooh. torture. So Ooh. I think I worked there like maybe a week, and I was like, I'm good. Why'd you piss I'm yourself good. though? Why don't you finish? Why don't you answer the goddamn question? Oh, that was that was a question. Yeah, I think I might have <laughs> pissed myself on that. Are you for real? I'm not sure. Because you wouldn't get I, a break. I it out entirely. But I remember not having a break. And I remember maybe one time during the week because you would bring, you know, I'd end up like get you know, an empty like milk jug or whatever mm. and rinse it out and then freeze that with full of water. And that would be, Jesus. as it melts, that would be your water kind of thing or whatever. But I remember like it was still full of ice and I had to piss and I couldn't go on a break. So I might have peed. I might have peed myself. I get it, though. Those kinds of jobs are so intensely awful. You see, I've never definitively saying I did or not. I know. I yeah, know. I know I what you're doing. Did you just... I brush past it. I know how you work. Let's go to the next question. Will you please just answer this one? What's the weirdest customer service job you've ever had? I'm trying to think of something that had a lot of interaction. I guess the, the burger joint uh, when I was working at Fat Man because <laughs> the guy was just like hands off. <laughs> so he was never there. It was just me and my cousin working there. So we had to do like register, like food prep. We had to cook. We had to clean. We had to do everything. It was a really small little place. and It was just only room for like two of us, three of us max sometimes if the if Fat Man came. Um, so that was like really strange because I remember one, one day this, it was a long line and this lady like passed out. And I remember calling Ooh. the the nine one one, and they were like, "What's going on? Or, you know, what's the problem? Or whatever." And I was like, "This lady done fell out." They were like, <laughs> um, "Fell out of what?" And I was like, "What? We just, she got out. She passed. She she ain't conscious, man. Y'all better come get her." <laughs> so it was like stressful for shit like that. And then like I remember this one guy was a like total. I'm saying like a fucking asshole. And he would come there all the time. I remember my cousin just like killed a gigantic roach. I'm talking about the kind of roach as big as your fist. Oh. Killed a gigantic roach and put it right in the center of his fucking burger. And it's like, yeah, fucking eat that. Stop. Um, that he did not. Terrible. Yeah. Oh, he did that. He did that shit. Why was Protein. that guy terrible? 
protein get out uh, of here. He's like one of them, you know, like OGs. Like he wasn't even an OG, but an OG. <laughs> like he used to bang, you know what I mean? But then now I become a crackhead. So he's like, you didn't want to hear from his shit, but he was always talking shit. And you, wanna, you didn't want to talk too much shit back because he still has some homies who might fuck you up. So Ooh. it was like, ah. Oof. So you just gave him roaches in his meal instead, or your cousin did. Sorry, not you, your cousin. Yeah, but I saw it, that I was like, mm-hmm, do it. He looked at me for a proof, and I was like, yep, to him. Yeah. <laughs> Make sure those bags do not get mixed up. Okay. That was like a, a weird, you know, you thought you knew your neighborhood mm. until you had to serve them and had to deal with them at a customer service level. And that was just like, oh, man, it's some strange characters, you know. I probably, probably like reflecting on it, probably, you know, where I'm really good at characters in, in improv is because you just like, the different kinds of people. You th- we are not a monolith. Believe me, black people, because mostly brown, black and brown people where mm-hmm. I grew up, we are not a monolith. There were so many varying degrees of personalities and points of views and sure. and worldviews. I mean, it's just like, oh man, that was cool. that was an eye-opening experience. And it was I don't know how weird it was, other than just the dynamism of having to do all those different jobs with literally almost no oversight. I remember one night, me and my the fat man didn't come to pick up the the, the count that night, so we we lived right around the corner. So we went home. I remember that motherfucker showing up in the middle of the night at our door, knocking the door and had a gun pointed at us. It's like, where's my motherfucking money? We're like, bro, you didn't fucking show up. We just calm the fuck down. Here's your goddamn, you know, like, we didn't shit like steal that. from you, you dumb fuck. You were going to leave yeah. it in the restaurant. It would have gotten stolen. That's like walking home from there one night going home and we had to, you know, there was an alleyway you could cut to, to get to the back of my house before you even got to the, the front entrance off the street. So we normally cut through the alley after that, didn't cut through the alley anymore. Cause mm-hmm. as we we're walking about to make that right turn into the alley, just gangsters just like having a fucking shootout, like Ooh. literally, like right next to my head, guns firing off, and then him looking over at us, and we just like fucking took off running back to the restaurant, Ooh. like that. It's like you know, I'm good on this. I'm just this is like <laughs> I'm not so the all one. set. I'm not the guy for you. Well, you know, Matt Craig used to always say to us to learn how to do object work. He was like, oh, do it with your left hand, or he would say, observe people in your real life. And you're so right for informing improv. The only reason I got past at Groundlings was because I did, but my fifth character in Five Through the Door was an identical match to some weird person that I had paid attention to at a customer service job that I was like, Oh, I'm going to do her. And the, when he sat me down, he was like, the only reason I passed you was because of that last character. And I was like, Holy <laughs> shit. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, that, uh, I mean, as actors, I mean, we spend a lot of our time alone doing our prep work. Cause that's most of our work is prep. You know, mm-hmm. once we're performing and that's the good stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot of observation. You know, my mom said that, you know, when I was a kid, people didn't think I was able to talk because I wouldn't say anything. Mm-hmm. I didn't talk for like five years, you know, but I was just observing. Back to my questions. Do you tip? Oh, yeah, I tip big time. 20%, baby. Okay. And that's that's your average? Uh, 20% is the base. And if they, you know, give me some some love, then I'll give them some love. Same. Okay. And this is, I have to come up with a different way to ask this because I only interview my friends and everyone's like, yeah, 30, 20, 30%. That's what I do. What if, what if the service is actually terrible? Oh, because I'm doing 30% and I'm doing 20. Damn, I feel cheap. <laughs> no, I thought 20% you're not. was getting it. It is getting it. It is getting it. Trust and believe after working at the comedy place where I work, like trust and believe 20% is Ma- I mean, manna like from amazing. heaven. Like I'm doing that even if I got shitty service. Okay, well, like, I don't go below that. Like really? Lizzie, my wife will go below that. She'd be like, no. She will like cut them down. She worked in customer service a lot. She was a server for for years. And if they, you know, if they give we got shitty service, they are they gonna feel it. They but will it, feel it from her. But for me, I'm just like, ah, uh, you know, this thing, it's just the whole system is set up shitty. So let them get this twenty percent. And if they to fucking you know hook me up. They They're washing get... the cat's feet. Then we can, yeah, we can, <laughs> we can like that thirty or forty. Like no problem. Let's do it. Now, what if they called you outside of your name or something horrible? Like, what if you had a genuinely horrible interaction? 
oh, we could talk to the manager. They call okay. me outside my name. I'm like, okay. well, we can, or we could just step outside. We got to try to make no scene. It could just be me and you. That's you know what I mean? We could just, I could whisper it in your ear. Like, look, motherfucker, we ain't got to, you know, we can handle this. That's what I love ways. about you. Yeah. I love about you. I get, I would get rattled in things and you would just be like, no, 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 no. It's cool. We can quietly destroy can their feelings. Can, oh my God. We can just like, they should, you know, they should, they should call me a counselor. Because uh, I'm going to get to what the root of the problem is, okay. you know, like right away. Uh-huh. <laughs> have you ever worked a position that required tips? Like, have you ever received tips in a position or any customer service job that was tipped? Yeah, the restaurant, they, they we used to get tips sometime. But I'm mm-hmm. trying to think of like, a, I, I was never a traditional server. I did work, I work in a kitchen. Yeah, when I was in college also, I worked in a steakhouse and I was a <laughs> kitchen worker there. That was really a good eye-opening job too because it was with me and a couple of my roommates. And one roommate was a cook. The other one worked in the kitchen with me. Um, so yeah, the, the server, would uh, they would break down their tips for us? Mm, that's well. kind. Okay. We we did a thing, but entrees like that was all done by the grill. My buddy who was a cook, he was actually it was two of those guys. They were at the actual separate because people wanted to see this at the steakhouse. They wanted to see them grill it, so they had like sure. a little separate thing. And we were back like making soups and shit. You know. Okay. Have you ever been fired from a customer service job? I've been fired from a lot of fucking jobs. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yeah, definitely have. Okay. Nothing comes to mind because I, you know, to me it's like fuck a job. Mm-hmm. I had so many jobs. Like my my dad used to tell us. Me and my older brother literally had to forge a work permit to get summer jobs. And Jeez. the reason why we had to do that is because my pops was like, "Look, if you want some new clothes every year or whatever, y'all gonna have to get a job." Mm. Straight up, he was like, "Not having it. He don't care." He's like, "Yeah, but the law said a law. Whatever, <laughs> you better get out there. You know what I mean? You better get yours." So if we wanted new clothes when the school year began, we had to get a summer job. So. We had so many jobs, it was like ridiculous. So my philosophy has always been like, fuck a job, work on your career. Now, the jobs that I had that were, you know, toward my career or I think informed my career in some way, I uh, tra- treated with you know great care because, you know, you are your reputation, especially in this business. Sure. I mean, and, you know, not that I didn't care about my reputation in those other ones. It's just like I knew that the purpose of those things. Sure. They served it. You've always been so good at giving me perspective on that when I get entrenched in something and you're like, it's just, it's not what you're here for. It's not your career. It's not informing it. That's anyway, that's great advice. Okay. What's the worst customer that you can think of that you ever had to interact with or who? This, I asked this wrong. Who is the worst customer? Who's the worst customer at the interaction? Mm-hmm. Or some, a bad experience you know, that comes I mean, to mind. You know, we've had, like, especially over the phone, this is be like, when I did that physician referral stuff, it was before the internet. Mm-hmm. So, but the same idea of people getting emboldened behind a phone. Yeah. Just like they get emboldened now behind a fucking keyboard. Mm-hmm. So we had a lot of shit talkers and a lot of, you know, people who think they can just do or say whatever they want to you especially if they feel like they can suss out your ethnicity based on how you speak then they really want to you know feel like they can say what they want kind of thing or whatever so we had plenty of those but i try to prime i mean maybe when i was younger i probably did go off and cuss people out i'm pretty sure i did but i I can't imagine even attempting to do that you know even if i had to go back to customer service today it's like it's not worth it it's like who cares no fuck yeah i I could give a shit even when i get bad customer service now and you know there's still bad customer service out there all over the place I try not to go off because I feel I still feel small, the same small I would feel as if I was the one going off on the other end of it. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, what is that for? Yeah, Where I is don't. that going to lead to? Like, that's, yeah. It's not going to satiate what you feel like you're, you know, the slight you think you're getting. It's not going to teach them in some way to act differently. So No, it's just going to embolden them to stay assholes. I, I forget that when my temper is right on the surface, but it is looking back on situations where I have muscled up. I'm like, that didn't feel good either. Retrospectively, I wasn't well, like, I hell too, yeah. I, I hate when people like try to call it out when you're not being that too. Like somebody was like, well, you can just calm down. So I'd be like, dude, I didn't even say anything. Oh, that drives me nuts. So, that's, that's terrible too. Yeah. But I remember I was coming back from Chicago on that 
trip for our sketch fest and something happened with my flight or something like that mm-hmm. and i was like it was not happening for me and you were like hold up hold up and you just like worked your magic i don't know what customer service magic you sprinkled on it i forgot but about not that. only did we get the, the, the flight moved up or at least i got moved up to where i was flying with you but we were, i was in the first class yeah you had a better fucking I like, seat i was so mad i was so but mad the first time i was ever in first class oh really was by way of Kate Gaffney. That was amazing. Yeah. I forgot about that completely. That's because, like, don't mess with my fam. Like, don't mess with the people that I love. No, no, no. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm not you the did, one. Like, I mean, you wasn't even like, I don't think you had a thought in your head of going off. You were just like, oh, no, let me do this for you. Mm-hmm. I was like, all right, if you feel like you can do something, but <laughs> I feel like I'm stuck here for hours. <laughs> no, I'm going to get you first like, class. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Tell all amazing. your single friends, Dwayne. <laughs> this is what I bring to the table. First class uh, seats. Hey. <laughs> Canceled she flights. She got a better even know about it. <laughs> <laughs> Love you. Okay, now we're going to go into the good stuff. We hope you guys enjoyed your entrees and that we that you saved room for dessert because we're getting there, I promise. Here we go. Who's the best customer that you've ever interacted with? Or an example of one you can think of? I can't think of a specific person. I guess generally speaking, again, uh, it would be someone who was just like not in a rush. Mm. Yeah, that's patient. You know, like when people aren't rushed in some way and they got all the time in the world, you'd be like, great. I'm just, I would love to just deal with you. Yeah. You know, because it feels like, you know, it's it's all oftentimes a, a power struggle. Mm. People just want to feel like we, you're serving them, they're spending money so they have power over, you know, how you treat them and what you say and all this other stuff. So, yeah, people who are just like relaxed and like have all the time in the world, they're usually pretty cool. First, I would say is just like anybody rushed. <laughs> So just, they're all assholes. Okay. This is the positive Including section. me when I've been rushed. I'm just a dick about it. Oh, same. Oh, <laughs> no same. Patience. Yeah. No, if you came to the comedy club and I waited on you, you'd be like, that girl is a bitch. Okay. What's the nicest thing a customer has done for you whilst you were working? Can you think of a, a moment where a customer did something nice for you? Working with the the Heart Association did with a lot of all those volunteers and whatnot. You get a lot of nice gifts and gestures based on how we used to put on this thing called the heart ball. Every year was our big thing. Beverly Hills Hotel every year. So like lots of people, you know, entertainers that would come and, and host it and big prizes that you can, you know, we'd auction off and everything. So getting some nice uh, notes and, and, and thoughts uh, after uh, after that was run well was really nice. That was like people who didn't have to do those kind of things chose to do that. Just, you know, respond to the work you put in because I was going to do the work whether they had a good time or not. I still had to do the same damn mm. work. Uh, so it was great that they took their time to, 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 you know, send a personal note. This is back, you know, before email was huge. Not that email wasn't a thing. I'm not that fucking old, but email <laughs> wasn't big. It was like, that was kind of like rude to send an email, but a, but a handwritten note was still considered, you know, a more personal thing. So to get a handwritten note from someone saying about the good job you did on putting you know, this big event together. It was nice. I'm still here for the handwritten note, BTW. I still oh, think a, a, a casual got, email got, thank got, you got, is rude. My, my fridge is like peppered with them. I was just looking at one today and they're all from shows. It's all from after sketching mm. improv. Either yeah. stuff I did for people or the things they did for me. It's just like, you know, a nice note about it. Like an opening of a show or ending of a show. Yeah. The handwritten note to me is just like, there's nothing That's more powerful, better. really. Real quick, with the job, I don't think I clarified. So you, at the Heart Association job, you were in charge of donations and facilitating don- donations donor relations? So, yeah, per se. No, uh, we were assigned like uh, different regions within the city. Oh, okay. Right? 
Okay. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm in charge of what they call their Baldwin Hills Crenshaw District, right? Okay. So that's city leaders uh, and physicians, leading physicians who are people who are either a specialty in, in the heart, like a cardiologist or some pulmonary doctor, people who are business leaders and can get things done and can reach a lot of folks. We put them, we call them together on, your, on, a, on a committee of some sort, and this committee has goals that we want to get the heart associates messaged in a better way into that specific part of the community. Okay. So it would be my job to organize and put together these committees of people, make sure that we plan out what things we're going to do from the smallest ones being, you know, a fundraiser that kids can raise money for at the schools like Jump Rope for Heart, all the way up to the heart ball that we would, you know, coordinate through all our other regional people. And they would all come together in this one large event, that kind of thing. So I had lots of small things in between that where you're just like working on a mission. Like how do we integrate the heart decision more into these uh, hospitals and these, you know, other places that they had an interest in being? And how do we get the word out about stroke being like what we call a brain attack rather than Stroke seems like it's something separate from the, the heart, but the, the effects are the same as the cutoff of circulation and you know, that kind of thing. So getting people educated, we you know use these people for that. So uh, it was a lot of, when I say fundraising, I mean like people volunteering their time to help us raise money in a large way, not just like a, some call-in line or a telethon or whatever. But this was like takes a lot of planning, a lot of negotiation, a lot of politicking, lots of politicking. Mm. I mean, when I met, you know, not that I'm super proud of anything, but I met Reagan once, and that was because of the Heart Association. It was like a friend of a friend or something like that or whatever, set up through oh. the Heart Association. Yeah. It's very cool. How long did you have that job? When you think about another life, you know, it's hard to put them in. All right, here we go. Like, Keep going. I'll go back to my question. You know, it didn't really happen until sketching your problem. Uh, but I guess I've worked there for about, four or five years. Something oh, like that. long time. So it was a big part of your life. What was the best lesson that you personally learned working in customer service? Patience. I don't think I had a lot of patience through most of the customer service jobs that I've occupied. But if I can reflect on that, I can see how patience has played a way, uh, you know, a role in some of my other interactions that weren't necessarily customer service. They might have been more career-wise, but I can see how they informed how I sit back and, and don't immediately react sometimes. You know, mm. just let people air their grievances first and they'll feel better about being heard. You, you do know? that so well. Yeah, that is a totally a true attribute about you. You definitely... Also, you know, people are talking louder because they feel like they haven't been heard. Oh, that's what you're yelling. You want to be heard. So let me just hear you. Now that you've got that out, I don't agree with the bullshit, but this is what we're going to do. No. <laughs> Here's but being real and honest with people too, you know, I mean, yeah, I, I think people don't want to be lied to. It's almost like, I think that can apply to what we do in, in entertainment. It's like the audience don't lie. I mean, that's why mm. I love working in live theater because they, they can hear and feel your intent, right? Mm. So don't feed me a line of bullshit because I can tell when people are just like here to appease. But if you're honest and, and deal with me as a human being, I think mm. that that's super helpful. So I think not doing being the best at that in some of my customer service jobs has taught me that, wait a minute, maybe it's something I want to pay attention to and be better at so that way it can better serve me and serve humanity and other people as well. It's like, well, we don't need a bunch of more angry people out there not being able to interact. What is that doing for anybody? I love that. Okay. And what's the, this is my final dessert question. What's one piece of advice you would give to customers who interact with customer service workers. Chill the fuck out. Hello. That's so real. No, don't <laughs> get about that. It's real. The best, best interactions I've had are when the customer service rep themselves are just very disarming in a way that doesn't feel phony. Even mm -hmm. if it is phony, it's one thing to have some rote phrase that you either have to or choose to give out. It's another thing when they make just little tiny, not trying to be personal, not trying to act like they know you, but make little human observations along the way of you doing your job and checking in in a way that doesn't feel like it's just obligatory. I totally agree with that. Now, those are the dessert questions. How do people get in touch with you? Are you comfortable giving out your socials? Do no. you want? 
Don't talk to me. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> Stupid ass. Uh, yeah, I, I, I deleted Facebook. I so. noticed that. I was like, what? Oh, girl, I'm gone. This yeah, is to I'm ready to be done. <laughs> Although I'm still on Instagram owned by Facebook. Uh, Hello, so irony I'm, notwithstanding. Because it's pictures. It's pictures. Uh-huh. Um, what, but, what's your IG? But on, on Instagram is dcolbert01. So D-C-O-L-B-E-R-T-01. Okay. So dcolbert01 on Instagram. And on Twitter, it's uh, at just like Steven. S-T-E-P-H-E-N. Like Stephen Colbert's last name is pronounced Colbert. Mm-hmm. People, for some reason, always choose to pronounce my name Colbert, though I pronounce it Colbert. Mm-hmm. So people aren't listening, Dwayne. Like Stephen's. Just like Stephen. <laughs> yeah. like so at just like Stephen, okay. or the, the, I think the name of as I spelled it out, the, the gag avatar name is uh, Dwayne the Swamp of Racist Cops. You can I know, I saw too. that. I love that. Uh, are, you gonna, are you too famous to speak to me again after this, do you think? Is this the last time we speak? I am nowhere near famous. Okay. And nowhere I choose to be or want to be in any way. I'm just trying to keep working. Uh, I will always talk as you were, girl. So that's what she's saying. Just want to clear that up. (laughs) And um, so just to to totally bring down the energy and not make this funny at all and be really sad, as a quick note on like the current climate and the time in history, are you excited? Do you feel inspired as a person of color in the industry feeling like, you know, things are shifting or is this just sort of business as usual? Don't get your hopes up. Um, I remember when Afros was running, Afros and ass weapons. Uh, there was there was this group of high school kids from some school in La Cañada, Flint Ridge, and they had a writing program. They said they would go around seeing written shows or plays and, and whatnot, and they would talk about them, whatever, politic about them in class. And they wanted to talk back after the uh, they came and saw Afros and ass weapons. And I was like, what? My, some of my cast members came to me. I was like, I want to talk back. Kiss my butt. And they were like, no, no, this is high school kids. They want to talk to you. We'll this do the thing with the stuff. So I was in, I was just like super salty. I was for some reason they were like a room full of high school kids. They were super inquisitive. They're really nice, and I was just like salty. I was like, ah, just, just salt. You know, but I had some of my cast members with me too. They would answer things too. It wasn't just me. And then I remember toward the end, it was one of the last questions. This, this young girl she asked, she's like, that last song. She said uh, it was like very uplifting and you know positive why did you make that choice whatever after dealing with the subject matter like police brutality i was like that just like floored me for some reason didn't wasn't salty anymore i was just like it was so felt so sincere and, and i gave her you know i gave all the answers were honest before that but the hers i like, just give just my earnest response in the moment was that despite all that's happening i'm still hopeful you know, I think that's one of the many strengths of black people or media press people is like, you know, be, being able to be hopeful in the face of hopelessness, hopelessness. I mean, it's just otherwise, what do you have? I mean, we can walk around just like shitty and salty all day, but what's that going to get us? Or what does that mean for the kind of world we want to be in? So, yeah, I am hopeful, but cautiously hopeful. That's a great answer. That was lovely. Okay, well, we're going to drop your checks now. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to help us out here at Service from Hell, leave a five-star review on iTunes and tell your friends to listen. It will help us reach more people that need to be schooled on the art of being kind and will be catharsis for those of us still working in the industry. Remember, if you can't afford to tip, you can't afford to go out. So don't be garbage and be good to people. It's easier that way. Thank you, Dwayne, for being here. I miss your face. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, I miss your face. I can't wait till this opens up. We're all hanging oh, out. Yeah. We, we just do a show. We just yeah. get up and start improvising. People will be like, what? These what guys are great. These guys are the best. <laughs> Yes, even though they're rusty. <laughs> nah, nah, you think you're rusty, but it's, you know, yes yeah. and. <laughs> uh, yes, it. It. also You know what true. I tell people in my classes all the time? I just finished the class. Sorry, I know you finished it up right now. No, you're good. I tell good. Them, here's how you save a bunch of money on improv. I'm going to tell you what improv is. It's just three things. Do it. Do it now. Do it again. Oh, I love That's that. That's it. That's it. Do That's it. Do it, it. it now. Do it again. Finish an improv scene. You'd be like, oh, man, I was going to. Oh, I should have. Well, too late. You didn't do it. Oh, I love that. You're going to do it again so we can build a pattern of behavior that we call game or comedic idea or whatever. So do it 
do, do it, it now. now. Do, do it, it again. again. And I don't think I coined that in any way. I believe I figure which structure that we had together it said said a version of that or that exactly, but I got it from one of them, and it's held true, so I use it as well. That's great. Are you teaching now? Like, are, are people able? I mean, obviously not in quarantine, yeah, but improv and sketch. Where where at? It's at Second City, uh, and, and Huey set up a workshop. Another one of my friends, uh, Carolee Burke, who teaches at Second City as well, she teaches writing. We had like a little workshop too. So here and there, workshops online here and there. Oh, and also I taught the Nickelodeon writing program, taught them sketch online for the first time this year too. So taught sketch online, which is easy. That's not a big deal. It doesn't change much from how I teach it normally in person, but the improv changed a lot about how we teach that. And sketch, uh, Second City came up with a whole tweak in their curriculum for the improv program and the conservatory program to be able to teach it online so i've done some of that as well oh so in quarantine you've been teaching it in quarantine oh yeah i've te- I taught like especially at the beginning i taught a lot at the beginning because one of my classes in the conservatory there had started you know before it hit oh. and we got shut down so we had to finish online and then i picked up classes and stuff after that so i feel like that would be so hard to do improv online I don't know I what I would love start it. Start myself online. I gotta, I gotta admit. I've even admitted to the students. I was like, you know, this. Is, I'm just gonna admit to you because we're all honest in this, and you know, this ain't my jam. Yeah, yeah. It wouldn't. <laughs> not, <laughs> not feeling this at know. all. Yeah. Because even when they're trying to like pass, you know, physical things back and forth with the camera, or oh, you know, trying God. to be in the same space, or there's lots of over talk. Forget about eye contact. Where's that? Uh, <laughs> no physicality. It's just like it can be done. Because remember, we've done bats before. We, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. It, but I like a bat. Dark. I really like bats, actually. Yeah. But you're it, there's something about sharing energy in someone's physical presence as opposed to I don't know. I'm I'm. Well, by the time we got to doing bats, you know, we uh, were savvy with give and take. If, if you're yeah. just learning give and take, it's kind of hard to be savvy with it over a, you know, a medium like this that doesn't even allow for good give and take. Sure. Yeah, the delay and the yeah the visuals and, and all of that, and you know half the time we spend like the first five minutes technical issues, and then after that we're t- <laughs> we're doing stuff just like looking at my watch trying to feel the fucking time. Like what the fuck? This is insane. But sketch, oh all, all day, day. yeah. No that's yeah. great. But improv, man, I had just finished. I was taking over for a buddy who couldn't finish. I only taught the last two of it. It was the first time I was teaching actual improv rather than improv to sketch, which I was teaching before. But mm-hmm. this was actual, just straight up improv. And they were improv three. So they were not even conservatory level. So these people are still learning what it is. So I'm really great. But it was just like I would, I know I'd be better able to affect their improv in a positive way if we were in the same space together and sure. they were in the same space with their players together. It's just tougher. Yeah. That's all. And are they, have they said if they're going to go back to in-person classes soon or is it, is everything TBD? Soon. I, I, each theater's got their own deal, but you know, the city of LA has got something to say about it. So yeah, they what are you going to do there? But it, it'll be no time soon. It'll just be no time soon, yeah. which is sad because I mean, what does that mean for a lot of these theaters? I mean, there's no more IO. There's no more UCB New York. I mean, what, you know, like what's happening? This is scary, you know, as much as we want to have some changes, you know, I was part of that open letter to Second City, as much as we want to have changes in, you know, systemic structures that have held, you know, BIPLC and people of the LGBTQIA plus community uh, held them back in those places of, you know, getting to a good place to perform and having a place to express themselves artistically. It just... Yeah, I can't see it happening anytime soon. That's that's what scares me. It's like we want to change, but knowing that they're not going to open up scares me. Well, improv was sort of on a tenuous, uh, as far as people registering for classes and stuff, was having a tenuous relationship with the generation beneath us because I think it was too easy to get famous off of YouTube and Instagram. And I think a lot of people's improv. Maybe. I, I would know. say yes and no to that because I would think that a lot of people had 
you know, it blew up, right? So there yeah. all these little small little theaters coming up. You know, we had the major players and we had the little small ones. Even for the major players, they were still trying to keep up with classes. Yeah. Second City LA, Second City Hollywood, their, uh, their, their improv program and the conservatory program were killing it. That's what kept the doors up. We were doing better in Chicago sometimes. We were killing it. Maybe because it's Hollywood and people had to get stuff on their resume and not everybody wanted to be on SNL or, you know, be as clickers as you needed to be at the Groundlings or, or at, uh, I'm sorry, Groundlings, or at... Uh, don't be sorry. I don't I was care. No, it was awful. Load it all up. Can't touch me. God, Amy. Um, but, you know, as, as quick as those places were, whatever, the Second City didn't have that. People would say, they, oh, we came here, met my improv family, all you people. Yeah. It's nice and different here. And I think that still continued because they were like a, a productive school, productive yeah. improv school. Uh, it was The numbers were growing. They were not going down. I think the, us having that diversity festival help. I mean, sure. I, I know people have different feelings about diversity festivals, and I, I have different feelings myself about the impact of it, but I think that it did have a positive impact, uh, at least on the place, you know, make it put it sure. on the map in a way where people come and know that that's a place they can learn. Uh, I had some great students. I mean, some really good students who I'd love to work with as well, but it's just going to be a while before it opens all back up. It's really sad. Yeah, it is. Yeah, well, I'm besides you know people dying and getting sick and and a lot of times even when they so-called you know get better it's never better so that's horrible. Scary. Don't get me wrong. I'm not. I think that me being able to play with my friends on stage is you know worse than I'm trying to definitely. No, it's, but it's, it's not more a health issue than anything else. But I am saying that it's part of our livelihood, being able to get out and interact. And so it's the the, the worst part of it is that people get sick and die, and the least part of it is that we can't interact. Well, and it's not a grief competition. I think that I think people are sort of lamenting the fact that well, if I if I haven't died from it, or if I don't know someone that's directly died from it, I don't get to have grief around the things that I am losing as a result. And I don't think that's fair. I think it's all relative, like, you know, to the teenagers who didn't get to go to prom this year or the seniors who didn't get to walk across the stage. That is the wor- potentially the worst thing that's happened to them. And I'm not saying that we could do a grief off all the time. We could be like, well, children in Syria don't have access to food and it's horrifying or in Flint, there's not clean water. Also horrifying. But you I think it's it's not fair to our own mental health to say, well, because of these extremities, I don't get to lament my what I my own experience. And so, I mean, there's a lot like they just shut down Broadway for the remainder of 2020. And there are a lot of actors that are out of work and sad about it and and get to be sad. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I cannot imagine. And for the city of New York. I mean, I just. Right. Anyway, I mean, that's just a lot of jobs. A lot of people. So many jobs. So many jobs. Anyway. Yeah. Well, thanks for being on, Dwayne. I'm glad I got to Thank see you. you. And thanks I, for having me. I appreciate yeah, you. I appreciate you. Yeah. I love and miss you. And I'm glad that we got to, I don't know, briefly interact on this, <laughs> this thing. Take care. Have a good night. All right. Bye. You too. But the I biggest lie in Hollywood is self-made. Okay, ain't nobody self-made. Hello, that's so true. It's, it's all friends. It's all teams. It's all like partnerships. It's all like, you know, you don't have to be besties with everybody. To see it, yeah, yeah. No, they you're right. There. People out there, they out there, just greasing palms, slapping on the backs, yeah. and some, having conversations that we are not privy to. Mm-hmm.